Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. You hear that weird? That's weird. What is that? I don't know. It's gone now. Boom, it's fixed itself. <laughs> I like when problems fix themselves. It often does not happen, but when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You have to wait until post in order to fix something, but this time, fixed it in the present. <laughs> I love yeah. it. It's like a, it's like um, an injury. You know, you get injured in jujitsu, and you're like, I'm going to give it a few days, see if it fixes itself. Yeah. And it doesn't always happen, but when it does, oh, it's a beautiful. beautiful thing. Yeah. Beautiful thing. I agree. I agree. Um, man, so it was... It was interesting, you know, you and I were just talking about this beforehand, and um, when things connect in life, I like that. I start looking for patterns and seeing, like, the same scenario in different aspects of life, and that's that's kind of what we always wanted to talk about. And I was telling you how I was reading, I've been reading some Bill O'Reilly lately, which is going to make people's skin crawl and feel the little prickles. Oh, God, O'Reilly, he's horrible. Um O'Reilly, the news personality, I don't really have an opinion on one way or the other. I don't think I ever really watched this stuff very much, but but I'm talking about Bill O'Reilly, the author. And he has a whole series of books where it's like the killing. He talks about pivotal events in American history that usually have to do with people dying and like killing Kennedy, killing Lincoln. And the one that I just read that we were talking about was, was Killing the Rising Sun, which is about essentially about bombing using the atomic bomb in Japan in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But it's a lot of things that led up to that, a lot of details about the war itself and how the immense crazy struggles of, <laughs> Jesus Christ, my dog, um, the immense crazy struggles of Iwo Jima and Okinawa and all the loss of life and just the brutal, brutal battles that it took to win those two islands near Japan in order to basically prepare the U.S. for, okay, now we can either keep bombing or we have to invade Japan. And that was sort of the way that wars had been done, and that's the way the, the whole campaign in Germany was done. But Harry S. Truman, who was the president, was presented with a different option, which was well, we can do this and we can bomb and, and invade, but we're probably going to lose at least 100,000 American troops, 100,000. Or we have these weapons that we can use, which is going to cause enormous loss of life. It's going to be a terrible thing, but it's minimal American tragedies and probably brutal enough that we can get Japan to surrender shortly thereafter. So we sort of presented with the traditional option, the option that they knew, or this new option. And what's interesting about the book is that Harry S. Truman was, had only been the VP for about a year. So he was sort of the vice president for Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, for just about a year. And apparently they didn't get along that well. Like FDR didn't like him that much. And I'm not really sure why he picked Harry Truman to be his VP, but he did. And FDR knew about the atomic bomb and the Manhattan Project and all that. Truman didn't until FDR dies in like April of 1945. And they're like, hey, uh, come to the White House. And he's like, okay, gets over there. And they're like, yeah, so uh, president's dead. 
And he's like, okay. And they're like, and by the way, we got this thing that can, uh, it splits an atom and blows everything up and just vaporizes like three miles of everything. What do you want to do? Like That almost reminds me of like, and we discovered this technology from our friends, the aliens. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we found it in Roswell, New Mexico. And <laughs> um, and it's funny, yeah. So so basically, you know, he learns about the Manhattan Project and and gets up to speed and, and really has to make this decision relatively short into his presidency. I mean, it was April when he became president and it was August when the bombs were dropped. So what is that? Uh, five months into his presidency, he's got to make this decision. Like, do you drop the bomb or do you not drop the bomb? And I thought about it. And I'm, what I liked about this book is that, I mean, obviously we know that O'Reilly's a, a right-leaning guy and all that kind of stuff, but I thought it was pretty balanced in terms of showing like the different scenarios and the pluses and minuses. And he talked about, there was very smart, reputable people on both sides of the argument. I mean, you had Albert Einstein, who was a pacifist, who they didn't even allow to work on the Manhattan Project because they thought, oh, he's never going to agree to work on something that's going to become a bomb. Um, you had Robert Oppenheimer, who was more enthusiastic towards it at first, but as time progressed, he got more and more hesitant towards it. You had, um, you know, you had uh, Eisenhower, who was very against it. You had, um, you know, General Patton. You had all these different people, uh, Douglas MacArthur, who they didn't even tell about it. He wanted to invade, and then they didn't tell him about the bomb until the last minute. So it's like you had all these different people weighing in, but ultimately Truman had to make this decision. And it just got me thinking about making tough decisions because it's – it's sort of the, the blessing and the curse of being a leader is that you have to make decisions with incomplete information and you have to know that you're not going to make everybody happy. Like there's, there's huge criticisms till this day. I mean, it's been what, uh, 76 years, over 76 years since, you know, since these bombs I and mean, people still debate, was it a good thing to do? Was it a bad thing to do? Well, you know, I'm going to let you keep going because this is some great stuff. But one of the things I wanted to say is that, defining what a tough decision is and, and usually how people define a tough decision is when you have to make a decision where the right answer is not clear. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Cause a lot of decisions, that's, that's kind of what it is. And, and a lot of times you're not going to really know until well after the fact, was this a good decision or a bad decision? And sometimes, you know, you and I, we have a mutual friend who always tells us, tells us you can do everything right and still end up dead. And it's like you could do a lot of things wrong and end up alive. And so that makes it hard to figure out well, what is the right decision sometimes. And, and that's part of leadership is understanding that you're going to have to make a decision because I think poor leadership is not making a decision. And I think that's something that we saw a lot with COVID is you know, people going back and forth on evidence and do this and don't this and wear a mask and don't wear a mask and get vaccinated. No, wait, maybe it's a bad idea. You know, back and forth and back and forth. There, there's not um, sort of a, a commitment towards, you know, making decisions and, and, and sticking with them. Do you and, think that is your, per, do you, you know, I say personal opinion, but do you think that the decision is only as good as the man or the or the woman or the human being that's making it? That's a great question. I don't know, because I mean, like, maybe. And, and the reason I uh, asked the question is because then my follow-up question would be, what are your thoughts on letting, because there have already been arguments on this, mm -hmm. on letting uh, AI, artificial intelligence, yeah. make those decisions? 
Yeah, I know. Um, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, you know, it's funny because there's books where they talk about, you know, uh, judges deciding like, oh, this person seems like a good person. I'm going to I'm going to let them go with a warning. And it's like when you look at the stats, it's like you just need to look, OK, how many times has this person been arrested? How many times have they done this? And it's a very clear pattern. Like they do this this many times, 99 percent chance they're going to do it again. And that's where like the AIs would probably make the better, more judicious decisions than a judge being like, oh, I'm just going to trust my instincts on this person. So there's definitely times where people's instincts point them wrong. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's probably a place for just sort of brutal, just the facts, ma'am, type of decisions. You know, there's probably stuff that's more nuanced when 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 something like dropping atomic bomb comes into place it's like maybe the decision is just which is going to minimize loss of life and maybe which is going to minimize loss of of american life or, or whatever side you're on because at that moment in war the most important thing for you is to have minimal loss of life on your side you don't care about the enemy certainly as much uh, at that moment because you're you're at war so maybe that's the the only decision on something like that but you know, what was interesting and what some of the arguments against dropping it were, you're going to create a precedent now of like, this is this is destruction beyond the imagination of human beings. And you're creating this precedent for warfare now. And you could definitely argue that dropping the atomic bomb is what led to the nuclear arms race. And, you know, there are so arguments that one of the reasons the U.S. did drop the atomic bomb is to just sort of let Russia know, oh, by the way, um, I know you guys are feeling a little cocky. I know you guys think you're going to invade, you know, by Manchuria and and sort of take things over from the Japanese and kind of spread your own wings. Just letting you know what the U.S. can do, just in case you were curious. You know, it's kind of like you're walking down the street. Someone gives you a funny look. You take out your uh, your pistol, you shoot a huge hole in the wall, go, oh yeah, that's a pretty big hole. Huh, about that. Just letting you know. I mean, you know, it's 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 a power play, and you know, you could argue whether that's good or bad, and and it's. It's sort of like, you know, deterrent and use of force. And it's like, when is that good versus when is that just provoking people unnecessarily? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. These are hard questions to to answer. But I think that, you know, if you're looking to be in business, if you're looking to lead in business, you may not have to make atomic bomb type of decisions, but you are going to have to make tough decisions sometimes. And you're going to have to make stuff where you don't know yeah. what the answer is until long after the fact you know and that's why they say a common quality among great leaders is they don't care about what people think yeah it's almost like artificial intelligence right yes. like ai doesn't care what you think it's yeah. going to basically look at the patterns mathematical probabilities so on and so forth yeah. and it, it it doesn't have an emotion or an ego that's going to yeah. care about am i hurting someone's feelings yeah well it's funny you say the ego part because you know you and i were talking about um I'll get one thing that I'll maybe get back to in a sec, but, you know, I'm looking at this office property to buy right now, and I found out that it's like a six-unit office park, so there's six separate buildings. I found out the one right across from the one I'm looking at is also had also just been bought by an investor, and I found out he paid like maybe a dollar or two more square foot than I did, but, but close enough that he basically paid what I pay or what I'm, you know, under contract to pay. And at first I'm like, no deal. 
Now I'm done. There's no way I am not letting somebody else buy something for the same price. Screw this, screw that guy. There's no way I don't want to compete with somebody like, and I'm doing all these things. And I talked to my broker who's real even keel. And he's just like, well, I mean, you look at the price you're getting this thing under square foot for and the price to build, it's like $150 more a square foot just to build it right now. And the price has gone up, you know, 50 bucks a square foot in the last year. And they got they got plans to build stuff right south of you, but they haven't even broken ground yet, which means they're going to be even more expensive by the time they do. That area, they're building tons of homes, tons of this. He's like, even if you just break even on this thing, this property is going to you know, be 40, 50% more value in, in three to five years, just inherent because of everything else. And I'm like, okay, that's the good AI stuff. And I'm like, and, and then this is how trivial I am. I looked up the guy who bought the property. And I'm like, this guy was a, an Air Force pilot. He's a pilot for Southwest. He's got a couple of little businesses he started. I like look him up. I'm like, I like this guy. I'm like, if this guy's got good judgment, then then okay, I'm okay with you know buying the same thing as this guy. I Which, think that's such an important lesson. And what I take from it, and what I've thought about in the past, is that I will never, I won't say I'll never. There should be no, nothing definitive in anything, but. Um, I won't allow somebody else getting a good deal force me to walk away from a good deal. Which is very smart and very mature. And I lacked your smartness and maturity, but I sort of reined myself back in. And then more than anything, I thought about it and I was like, this is a, a very affordable way for me to get in the, my foot in the door in something that I want to get my foot in the door in. Um, it's a small town. And if I back out of the deal, um, I've only got so many deals I can back out of, you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. I don't want to be the kind of guy where it's like, I put someone on a contract and the broker's like, yeah, this guy, I mean, he, he may buy it. He may not. I want them to be like, oh no, this dude doesn't mess around. When Fist says he's going to buy it, he's going to buy it. You know what I mean? I want that to be part of the appeal because that I, reputation. Yeah. You know, We're not go, wasting people's time. I don't want to waste people's and time. You don't it's want like, your time to be wasted yeah. vice versa. Yeah. So it's kind of like I, I had to do a reevaluation of, Am I just looking at something in isolation or am I looking at something as the bigger picture of what I ultimately want, which is a good reputation, which is great relationships, which is, you know, an expanding portfolio and, and essentially betting on the town and the city itself versus if this deal doesn't meet all the metrics I'm looking for that I'm walking away. That's, you know, penny, penny wise and pound foolish or whatever the saying is like that's 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 being short sighted. And it, a lot of it was sort of geared in with ego, but I found that I need, maybe I do need my own like AI buddy. Like we all need, it would be good. You have your like AI buddy and you'll listen, here's the facts. What should I do AI buddy? The AI buddy's like, buy it. And, and that's true, right? Like you don't, yeah, for sure. And that's just somebody that's not involved in the deal, right? That yeah. you respect their business acumen. That's first and foremost, like they, they have to have, they have to know business and understand that but they're not emotionally attached to the deal. Exactly, because it's, it's and that's that's part of, I think- Because I was able to look at that and be like, oh, well, just because that guy's getting a good deal, don't walk away from you getting a good deal because all he's gonna do, the, the Air Force guy's probably gonna be happy you walked away from it so he can go scoop that one up too, right? Too. But yeah. I can almost guarantee you, if I was in your shoes, I would, because we have a similar personality, I would be thinking the exact same thing you're, yeah. you're thinking and you would be like, Hey Mo, don't walk away from that good deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So it's, it's, um, 
you know, I think part of learning how to make tough decisions is learning where are my, what are my bad tendencies towards things? Like, do I get emotional? Yes. Do I get almost selfish in a way of being like, well, if he's got this, screw that. You know I mean? Like, yes, I do. Um, and I think it's, it's important to be really be brutally honest with your own tendencies because there's nothing worse than people who talk about what a good negotiator they are, what a good, like overconfidence in that area is, is really, really dangerous for anybody in business because you have to always, and it really is not necessarily a matter of experience necessarily either, because I've seen very experienced guys do real stupid stuff before. Um, and I'm pretty experienced and it's like, I still do dumb things. I still like, I'm like, okay, am I doing this for ego? Am I doing this? Cause it makes sense. Um, you know, am I just, and I think with, with investing and why it kind of reminded me of that story about Harry Truman is that with investing, you are gambling. Like you're, you're taking an educated gamble. You're, 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 but you're still, you're making a bet. Like, especially in real estate, you're making a bet going, okay, if I do this, this, and this, I'm betting that I'm going to get a better quality of tenant or whatever person to rent this thing out. Or I'm betting that if I do this and this and this, I have made this property more value and I can turn around and sell it or refinance it. And, and, you know, a lot of times you're going to be right, but like we've talked about, you're going to make wrong choices. And I mean, we've talked about the example before my, my worst deal ever, which was like a triple Lindy of losing really because number one, um, I bought this deal and probably paid a little bit too much for it and did classic mistake. Number one, which is thinking that you can, throw money at a deal to make it better. And I think the reality is something is what it is. And if it's not great, it's better to cut your losses early than to try and buy your way out. Well, just and, real quick, the fundamental that I've always learned from that was you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Yes. So and, when, and, when you're thinking about um, I can throw money at the deal, you're thinking about how you can make money when you sell as opposed to when you bought it. Yeah, it is so, what it is. Like you said, it is what it is when you buy it. Yeah. Yes. And and what and the reason I think about this and it's important is okay, this is a little like, you know, home that I bought for, bought in Wills Point, Texas, which most of you have never heard of before, for like 80 grand I bought this house or 70,000 bucks. But I listened to Steve Wynn, the real estate developer, casino guy in Las Vegas, talking about a group of investors he knew who did basically he's like they were experienced investors so they tried to buy their way out of the deal, which is basically they had like a, a certain size casino development they were working on and they realized their numbers didn't work. So like, we're going to double the size of this thing. And they did this and did this. And they still realized at a certain point, okay, we're still going to lose money on this. Steve Wynn came in and I think he either bought them out of the deal or, you know, gave them some capital or did whatever. But he's like, these were experienced guys that were probably doing an eight or nine figure deal. So, you know, a 50 million, hundred million dollar deal that were still making this basic mistake that I made on a $70,000 deal. So the, the zeros and the commas changed, but the mistake was still the same mistake, which was that sometimes when you make a decision, you've made the wrong decision. And it's better to acknowledge that early and be like, I'm going to cut my losses. Cause I, I had a chance to just sell that home and be like, maybe I'll break even, maybe I'll lose 5,000 bucks. And I should have done it. But I said, no, I talked to another realtor who was like, Oh no, if you put a beautiful deck and you do, you can see the lake from here. You can see it. Unfortunately, you could see all the other homes that were near the lake too, which was not a good thing, but you could see the lake. 
you should hire this guy. So I hire this guy and we do this and we do this and da, 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 and it looks all nice. And then just sat there forever. So number one, I put, put more money yeah. in it, sat there forever, finally sold it to somebody I knew I shouldn't sell to. They were not great on payments. Then COVID happened. Then I sold the the note and then it, the person ends up suing me anyway because they said there was oh. all these things wrong with the home that I knew about, blah, blah, blah. So it just ended up being a deal where I ended up losing, I think, 40 grand. Plus, I had to pay another seven grand just to settle the lawsuit. So 47,000 bucks versus breaking even or maybe losing five grand in the beginning. So it was a sort of a classic thing of I didn't acknowledge I just made a bad decision until later. And that's, I think, the 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 sort of a blessing and curse again of being an entrepreneur is that you get to make decisions. And, and, you know, when you're the boss, we were just talking about our man, Will Caldwell. No one's telling Will when to wake up. No, okay. sir. Mo Siddiqui swore off alarms. Who's <laughs> the term alarm around Mo? He's like, no, I don't even know what that word means anymore. So there's some entrepreneurs out there that are like, I'm not going to live by a clock. I'm not going to have a boss. I'm not going to do whatever. And as uh, was a Spider-Man said with great freedom, well, he said with great power, but I'll say with the entrepreneur version, as with great freedom comes great responsibility. And the responsibility of, you know, of, of having, being your own boss is that you're going to make decisions because there's nobody there holding your hand. I mean, you can, people can advise you and tell you, oh, maybe this, maybe that, but ultimately the decision lies on you and the consequence of that decision lies on you. Yeah, I have, so two things on that. Um, you know, early on, we kind of defined uh, hard decisions are basically decisions you have to make where the answer is not clear. But in addition to that, sometimes a hard decision is a decision you have to make where there is no good outcome. It just basically comes down to, like you said, cutting your losses, right? You're yeah. minimizing your loss, you're minimizing your risk or, or whatever. It's usually minimizing some sort of loss. And I think yeah. that when you uh, talk about the book and when you talk about, you know, whether or not you should drop a nuclear weapon, it you you know there's there's usually not a good answer. It just comes down to how can we save you know are you going to save a million people here or two million people here and it comes down to that right. But at the end of the day, a lot of people are still probably going to have to die, yes. and so there's not really a good outcome. And yeah. the fact that you're in that position that has to you have to be the one to make that decision is very difficult. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I do want to say is that um, you are right, like. You are at the end of the day, you are going to be the one that has to make that decision. But what here's what I've learned from and I and and I've I felt like I've been around some good leaders in my time. I've been around some bad ones, and that's where you you learn a lot more from the bad ones than the good ones. You learn what not to do and, yeah. and how to get your people to turn against you. And and that's you never you never want to do that. Obviously, yeah. when we talk about leadership, it automatically implies that there's people there to lead, right? Like you're not just some solo person walking around, because that's not you're leading yourself, right? Which is what everybody should be doing anyway. But when you're, you know, saying that you're a leader, it means that there's a team behind you usually. And here's what I can say, what I've learned from that, from, from leadership is that nobody ever really leads alone, not great leaders. Great leaders have never led alone. Yeah. Now, here's the thing is that good leaders usually get all the credit and it's yes. usually because they are the ones that are making that final decision, either green light or red light. Are we going, or are we not going? Yeah. It comes down to them. I've been in some positions before where I had to make those decisions. Do we go? Do we not go? Yeah. And whenever I made the right decision, usually a lot of people came and they would pat me on the back and they would say, oh, that was a good call, Mo. 
But I knew in the back of my head, I didn't make that decision. That decision was made because I consulted with the other eight people or 10 people that were on my team. And based off their experience and based off their skill and based off their knowledge, I was able to, to create a higher probability of success. So here's the thing is that when you're in a leadership position, you're always going to be in a position, not always, but you're going to, you're, there's going to be times where you're going to have to make hard decisions. And the leader is usually only as good as the people that he surrounds himself with. And that's why we come down to that fundamental, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The most important thing you can do when you are scaling a business is hire the right people. Yes. Yes. I, I, I hundred percent. It's funny because I was thinking about that from, you know, I, I had, I had been frustrated with the lender I had on my first commercial deal because I, I felt like insulted. I'm like, there's, they're wanting so much damn information from me and I'm putting a lot of money down on this property and, you know, it's a pretty safe bet and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was just like, man, this is literally like thing after thing. It was, you know, and then it was like a year into the loan, like we need an updated personal financial statement. I'm like, loan's already started. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like all that. But when I met them and I, I found out their story and found out that they were an entrepreneur success story and and they were local and, and they were, you know, actually those guys are younger than me and all that. Like, I was like, okay, now I get why they're so thorough and this is why they've been so successful. And it makes me want to continue working with them, even though it's like on deal number two, it's like they're asking for all the same stuff again. I'm like, good God, you people. But um, having them as a team is important because they, they asked me on this new deal. They're like, well, if you put down 20% on this property, we have to do a whole property uh, appraisal. If you put down 30%, we only do like an evaluation and evaluation is cheaper and faster and appraisal is more expensive and slower. And I'm like, do the appraisal. I want the, cause to me, it's like, I want you guys to look at this and I want you guys to believe in this deal, regardless of me. Like I want you to believe in the deal as much, if not more than you believe in me, because if you don't believe in the deal, I'm not doing it. Like I'm not buying my way. I'm not buying my way out of this deal because if I put down another 10%, I essentially, allow them to gloss over details that I don't want them to do. I want them to go, I want them to look at everything. And, and if they notice something that is not going to work on their end, then I'm not doing the deal. And I love it. I love it. How, you know, having a good team. Yeah. Is, is sometimes it, sometimes a buzzkill. Sometimes you, and you need to know this again, it comes down to knowing yourself because I'm way too enthusiastic about deals. Like there's people that are like, Oh, I try and kill every deal, dude. I try and revive every deal that I possibly, I'm still looking at this thing was a, that was an old Sears building. And I'm like, could be a hardware store or a mattress store, a 15,000 square foot mattress store. Like I'm trying to think of anything like the most impractical stuff ever. Cause I'm like, it was Sears. I'm like, why couldn't it be Sears again? Oh, they're bankrupt. Okay. Uh, you know I mean? I, I, that's always my tendency. I see potential in everything. I get excited about stuff. I need a deal killer out there. And to me, if it's going to be the lender even better, because number one, contractually, I always have a way out. Cause I'm like, couldn't get the financing. So it doesn't make me look like a flake. And it's a way of learning like, okay, I'm seeing this from a point of view of a fellow entrepreneur who's been very, very far more successful than I have. Um, if they see a problem with it, then there's a problem with it. And so that is part of building a good team is building people that are gonna- 100%. Hedge against your tendencies. And that's what I was gonna say. I think that's a good mic drop. A leader is only as good as his team. Yeah. Yeah, and and you need people that are um, that are against, that are 
opposite you. So whatever it is that you know you need, you don't want it. We see this. You don't want yes men. You, you don't want yes men. And, and and fighting careers are almost always lost when the person starts surrounding themselves with yes men. We see this over and over again, and that that I think is one of the most important things from fighting, from leadership, from business, anything like that. You always want to have people that are never going to let you let you get away with BS, you know, be it from how you're training to the deals that you're doing to the decisions you're making. You want people that are going to be honest with you, that are going to go against what you're saying, that are going to be sort of argue against you. You need that pushback. As, as good and, you know, I keep it really simple with that one. And this is one thing that I got from Warren Buffett. And I man, it really even in my previous uh, career. When we looked at recruiting people, I brought this up to my team. I said, I think this, this is a, these are the three important things to look at. And it was a complete ripoff from Warren Buffett. And I think it applies really great to business uh, to simplify things when you're hiring. And he talks about there's three characteristics when you're hiring, intelligence, energy, and integrity. He said, number one, above all, is integrity. Because they can have intelligence and energy, but if they don't have the integrity, if you can't trust them, then you, they're, they're, the, the chemistry, the, it, you just can't have them on the team, right? Integrity has to be there. He said energy and intelligence can kind of go back and forth as number two, number three, right? But like person has to have integrity. You got to be able to trust them. Then after that, they have to have the intelligence. You have to respect their business acumen. You have to actually, you actually have to respect them enough to listen to their input. If you don't respect them, they can tell you all day what to do, what not to do, but you're not going to listen to it, right? And then finally, they have to have the energy. They have to be motivated and they have to get up every day and be passionate about what they're doing. We've all been around those people. They're like, man, you guys could, you know, you could be a great business owner. You could just kill it because they have the integrity and they have the intelligence, but it's a non-starter because they don't have the motivation, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah. they, they don't want to do it. They don't want to get involved. They're just not motivated. Right. Yeah. And so those three things I think are super important. And I think, man, um, a leader is only as good as his team. You want to be successful. You want to be a great leader, recruit the right people to be around you and recruit people like Carter said, that are going to be super honest with you. Not always tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. Boom. That's a mic drop. I like it. My man, to re-listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also check us out on Apple iTunes, like, review, subscribe, all that. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. We make custom geese. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Check them out. Check out our boy, Calum Callista, Sneaky Submissions, No Gi. Uh, also check out uh, our boy Steve Hordensky, dude. He's putting a lot of great content out on uh, his Jiu-Jitsu on the Go app. You guys go check it out. I think he has like some sort of free trial, so you might want to check that out. That's a great way to supplement your your uh, your Jiu-Jitsu training. And if you're in the Austin area, check out Chaparral Moving. They have moving down to a science IMO. That is my dear friend and brother Carter, and we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. 
thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.